This is Get Unstuck Radio episode 32. Lean into uncomfortable for entrepreneurial growth with Todd Palmer. Welcome to Get Unstuck Radio, the place to brainstorm with you on business and life strategy. To get unstuck with system automation and delegation. And also to get clarity for sustainable business and lifestyle. I'm your host, Mukita Panmuk. Let's get unstuck. Hi, everyone. So today, um, please welcome Todd Palmer with me. Todd Palmer is executive coach, keynote speaker, renowned thought leader, author, and CEO of Extraordinary Advisor. He specializes in helping leaders to join the mission statement of the organization with their personal core value while addressing their fear, self-doubt, and imposter syndrome. Anyone interested in that? Thank you so much for joining me today, Todd. Thank you so much for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Not many people give me the introduction like that, that they really want to combine the statement of the organization with the leader's core value. That's very powerful. How did you come up with this idea? uh, So it's what I had to do as a CEO. So I was a CEO for almost 25 years, and my business got in really bad shape about 10 years into it. And I realized part of the reason the company was doing so poorly was because I was hiring people, for example, who had backgrounds and experiences in recruiting. I owned a recruiting company, but they didn't match the core values of either me as the leader or the company as it stands alone. And we got in really bad shape. The company, gosh, this is 2006. We got $600,000 in debt. I was two months away from running out of all of my money. Uh, the bank was was talking about taking my home, and I was a single dad at the time. And my my son was having a a bit of a a bit of a freak out moment, a little bit of a panic. And I had a toxic and dysfunctional culture within my team that was preventing us from really growing and scaling the business. So at that time, I for the first time in my life as an entrepreneur, I, I raised my hand and I asked for help, and I hired a coach. And so that coach was work, working with me. And one of the first things he realized is that, you know, Todd, you see the, the world a certain way and your values are certain like this. And I don't know if your team has the same values. You want to take a look at those. And where do you want the company to grow to? And how do you want the company to grow? So uh, in September of 2006, I fired the entire company and I started over. And I started hiring people as I grew the, was growing the business to, to fit into the core values of the company. So I came up with a process called hire for DNA, not for resume. And I would take people who came from restaurant or retail or other areas and hire them to be recruiters. And they didn't have any recruiting experience and we would train them up. And, and it, it worked wonderfully well for us. So we started out with being $600,000 in debt, firing everybody to paying off all that debt and making the Inc. 5000 as one of the fastest growing companies in the United States six times. So for, for me, it was key to align the values of, the, of me as the leader with the direction and values of the organization so we could go forward. Yeah, you make me chill when you say <laughs> I'm like, wow, congratulations again, by the way. Thank you. I know how tough that is. And when you say that, okay, you clear the plate, you fire everyone and start the whole new business strategy again. I totally resonate with that. How your entrepreneurial journey start? Oh, wow. You know, so... It's, and I think about this often now as, we're, as I'm reinventing my life and reinventing my business in 2020, it really started when I was about, give or take, 10 years old. Okay. I, I, I grew up in a really small town. I grew up on a farm. 
and we had one town, one store in town, and we used to go by that store every day to go to school. And one time, my mom stopped in, and I had like $5 in, in lawn mowing money in my pocket, and I bought a bunch of candy, and I took it to school, and I sold it. And I made probably 10 or $12 off that $5 investment, and I was hooked. I'm like, oh, so, so this is an increased demand in a diminished supply area. Kids in school don't have the candy. I have the candy. I can charge more, so I paid a nickel for it and sell it for a quarter. There we go. So it really started with that. And as I, as I went through school and I went through university, you know, I tried being an employee and I wasn't very good at it. I had a lot of ideas and I didn't necessarily recognize and realize that, the, that I, I couldn't climb the ladder within corporate America. I recognized that because of how I looked at the world. And at the time, I had just gotten custody of my son. I was raising my son and I had certain dreams and certain aspirations for us to have a life certain life. And I knew that for me to have that life in corporate America would require me to, to travel a lot, to be away from my boy. And I didn't want to do those things. So I started looking for other areas and other opportunities. And it just, it felt for me that being an entrepreneur was a better way to, to create a life by design versus than the corporate structure. Mm-hmm. That's why. And why is your industry in the first place that you started? Like oh, so I, years so, ago? Yeah, so uh, I started in temporary help and, and staffing and recruiting, and I, I got into that through my older brother. He was in the same space, and he said, hey, you know, I think you might be pretty good at this. Why don't you give it a try? So, that, so like most great, most great success stories in life, so to speak, there was no planning. It was complete luck and happenstance, but, but I did find that I was always really good at being on job interviews and job interviews didn't scare me. I know a lot of people, it's a real big phobia and I really respect that. And that's what my, my book, The Job Search Process talks about is how to get through the fears of, of getting your first job out of school. But I just remember for me, I, I could just do it. I was really naturally, I think, equipped to, to have that ability. And I thought, well, if there's a way for me to take this natural ability and help other people get great jobs, then I, I'd be... I'd be, it'd be ridiculous for me not to at least give it a shot. So when my brother suggested it, I gave it a try. So you were a recruiter. Are you still doing Correct. something like that right now? Like it's kind of fun actually, to be honest. I mean, I love recruiting people because I yeah. can learn more about them. And it's always challenging when, you know, those, um, let's say candidates, they ask mm-hmm. me back, how, sure. how was my best day at work? I was like, okay, yeah. this guy has done some homework to ask me this question. Sure. You know, so I, I loved recruiting and I, and I did it for a long time, but I found that, you know, I, what I really loved more was teaching entrepreneurship and I really loved helping. And I was helping a lot of you know, people in my network and in, in people that were starting out and I was coaching them on how to grow and scale their business and they were, they were doing well. And I found, I just enjoyed that more and more. And I, I recognized and realized that I had such a great coach who helped me get out of that tough time. I use that same coach oh gosh, six or seven years. Mm. And, and I just really, I took a lot of what he taught me combined with what I read from, from authors like Gino Wickman in, in EOS and uh, Vern Harnish in, track, in, in his book, Scaling Up. So I thought, you know, there's a, there's a real need, I think, in the marketplace because I didn't have these tools when I was starting out. And, and it dawned on me there could be a real unique opportunity to take the mindset work I was doing and the itty-bitty negative committee in my head and my imposter syndrome, lay that over some of these best practices and start coaching people. So I started doing it for free and I was coaching some, some startups and some other people. And, and I had, had one person pull me aside and said, 
well, you're, you're just so good at this. Why don't you just do this forever? And I'm like, well, cause I had my recruiting business. So what I did is I, I was teaching the skills and I do those skills and really doubled down on my business, put someone else in charge of the business so I could come out and do this. And, you know, I've just, I've loved every minute. And I just, you know, I had this client, Tom success story. He had to make some changes on his leadership team. He was so stressed out about it. He makes these tough calls, these tough decisions. And he, he leans face first into these tough conversations. So two people from his leadership team leave. He calls me up. He's really stressed out. And I, I tell him from my experience that it will be fine. Eight months later, his revenue is up 70%. His profits are up 500%. And he's actually working three and a half days in his business compared to six, which he was doing before because he's got the right people on the team with the right processes and his mind is clear and he's creating great value for his family, for his employees and for his clients. That just, it feels so incredibly rewarding to me. That, that's why I love to do this kind of work. Yeah, amazing. I mean, it's always good to see like the transformation from the clients, right? So let's oh, yeah. talk a little bit about the fail forward leadership. You like mentioned to me earlier that you have like somehow four step formula about that. I really like the way that you make it resonate between the owner, the leader in the organization itself and the whole organization. Like some people might think that they have to keep scaling like bigger and bigger, but sometimes that is not the only answer to go further. Oh, for sure. And there's a, there's a great book out there called Small Giants about creating great shareholder wealth for the entrepreneur and keeping your business small and boutique and unique. And I think part of that really is doubling down on your niche. So for us, it was so key to, to the four step process is really simple. It's called identify your mindset, set an intention, not an expectation of what you want to see happen. That's not working in that mindset, create a strategy to that intention, iterate, try feedback, do it over and over again, again, keep what works, get rid of what doesn't. So the simple way I can tell it is to tell our story is, you know, my, my mindset in 2006 was terrible. You know, if the business was doing great, I was great. If the business was awful, well, I wasn't, I wasn't a good person. And that was going, that was a doom loop over and over and over and over in my head. My coach was really clear. He's like, you got to stop that. <laughs> it's, it's not productive and it's not true because you have a lot of good ideas. We just got to get you going in a different direction. And so he kept saying, we got to change your doom loop. So we, he would create this thing called five positives every day. And I'd do five positive things and I would report them in because I was in real, I mean, $600,000 is a lot of money. I was not, I was a pretty stressed out guy. So my mindset wasn't working. And so first thing was to recognize that this isn't working. Looking at the business myopically was not working. What's my intention? Well, my intention is to get out of debt. I need to get out of the $600,000 in debt, but I don't have an expectation of exactly how I'm going to get out of that debt. And he kept saying, that's okay. Let's keep focusing on that intention of getting out of debt. So let's create a strategy around that intention. And, and what that allowed us to do is it allowed us to find over the course of a several months, an inflection point. And in that inflection point was an increased demand and a diminished supply of human capital. We found a very, very tiny micro niche within staffing. So staffing is, you know, temporary help. And then we thought, okay, we're going to do temporary help for manufacturing. All right. Temporary help for manufacturing, skilled trades. Then we're taking manufacturing, temporary help, skilled trades, manufacturing, wow, we're finding there's a really big need for these CNC machinist programmers that can do a certain kind of machining to make a certain kind of part. We found there's an increase. To, so we kept digging deeper and deeper. deeper. Instead of going wider, trying to be all things to all people, we found a very unique micro niche. 
And in that micro niche, we were able to charge more and get paid faster, which helped toward, get us towards out of debt. And we just became the best skilled trades manufacturing company in America so we could get out of the debt. And we got better and better and better at it. So the byproduct of that intention of getting out of debt was the, I kept giving my staff lots of freedom to try lots of different things. And they were like, like trying something one day and it didn't work, we tried something new. And then we kept a list of all the things that did work. Then that became the playbook. So we kept doing that. Eventually, the flywheel starts moving. We start growing the company again. And that's how we got on the Inc. 5000 six times. It was under the intention of getting out of the debt. The happy byproduct was the revenue success that we were able to create over probably about an 11 to 12 year period because the Inc. 5000 is a rolling three-year number. Wow. Amazing. I mean, I know it now though. I'm listening and I'm just learning from you. As well. <laughs> I know what to ask Nate and I also have a note with me that what I get after this. <laughs> so that's why I'm not now. Um, yeah, I mean, yeah. amazing. Um, it's very important. Like I see, so I also the system person as well. I always yeah. have the back end of the office and I discovered. So right now, usually solopreneurs come to me and they are at the point that they start to feel lazy of their day to do work already, but they don't get the cash flow yet. So in order to invest, you know, like to have that fixed cost, at least one person with you, it's already an expenses. It's a fixed expense. So absolutely. Yeah. yeah. It, That's the it, problem that I'm faced right now. Sure. And, it, and it, you're investing. And so going back to the core values. So for me, I worked with a, a guy about a dozen years ago. His name is Simon Sinek. He wrote a powerful book called the, the, he has three golden circles and, and it helps you find your why. And so for me, my why is two words, improve lives. If I'm improving lives in whatever I do, I want to keep investing in it. Because a lot of people get wrapped up, and I did too, back in, you know, when I was getting the company massively into debt, was I was just chasing the dollars. I was just chasing the revenue, but I had no purpose. And so when we pivoted into the core values, and now when I work with my clients, like Tom, I was mentioning earlier, and others, you know, we figure out what, the, what, why are you doing this? And I, and I have no problem says, you know what? I want to make a lot of money. Great. I'm a capitalist. I have no problem with that. Let's make a lot of money, but say, but let's take that off the table for a second. And I take them down this process where we break down. Why do they want to make a lot of money or why do they want to have a lot of revenue? Because statistically only about four and a half percent of all companies in the United States ever reach a million dollars in revenue. It's a very small number. So why is that important to you? And ultimately, if I can get them to anchor in why it's important for them to be successful, then I can do something with it. So for me, it's improving lives. So I'll continue to invest in a recruiter, for example, who's underperforming because I see them doing a lot of the right things the right way. They just haven't gotten traction yet because they're learning a new job. It's like watching a baby learn to walk sometimes. So we've got to invest in them. We just can't expect them to land day one. Um, by, by, psychologically getting them to anchor into what ultimately they, why they want to do it. That's where transformation comes through. And that's when they'll continue to, to invest. So if you've got a solopreneur who's trying to, to grow a company and grow a business beyond just making a living and they all have to make a living. So assume that's a given, we got to make a living. So you should be selling something for a profit. You should be, but then why? I often find that the craziest thing is, they're doing it because they want to either prove to themselves they can do it or they want to prove to somebody else they can do it. Mm -hmm. And once they figure that out, what 
And usually there's pain involved. So it's like that emptiness, the black hole. So I want to fill that black hole with success or money or awards or whatever. Well, once they recognize it, then they understand why they make some of the decisions they make. Because a lot of entrepreneurs, believe it or not, love the, the idea of making a to-do list and crossing it off and being so good at it. And, and then they love the idea of putting out fires or solving big problems. What they typically don't recognize and realize, while they're the greatest firefighter in their company, they're also the chief arsonist, and they don't realize that they're doing a lot of subversive things to start those fires so they have something to do. Mm. That's why at some point they don't have that fire anymore. Yeah. To do things. Well, because they don't know why they're doing it. So if they, if they don't have a fire to get, so why, so I'm, I'm $600,000 in debt. I could have filed bankruptcy. Could have, and, and it's completely legal. And I could have started over with a fresh slate. I didn't file bankruptcy. And I don't tell a lot of people this, but the reason why was because I, I had an 11 year old son. And I told him, if you start something, you do your very best at it. And you don't quit until you've done everything you could. And in the back of my head, I'm like, I haven't done everything I can. These, the bank, my vendors, they, they trusted me. They, they bet on me to succeed. And I let them down. And so I did a lot of the original debt restructuring, which I could have discarded because I didn't want to go to my kid and say, you know, I told you, you have to give your best, but that doesn't apply to your dad. No, it applies to both of us. It's not always the most obvious reasons why people make the decisions they make. Yeah. It's very important the way you do one thing is the way you do everything, right? Love and, it. Yes, exactly. And as the parents, like you just mentioned, you have to be the role model to your son. And that's very important. So as in your organization, in your business as well. Oh, we are, the leaders are the role models. The leaders are the organization, of the organizations are the, 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 essentially the parent, the de facto. So, and this is what I always tell my clients when they want to engage me. Like someone approached me the other day and they said, hey, I want you to come and work with my company and fix my business. Tell me more about that. I always want to learn more. I want to approach it with curiosity. Typically, what I have to do is I have to work on the leader first. It's inside out work. Like you say, if you're the role model of the company, you're the leader of the organization. Well, if the, if the organization isn't functioning optimally, typically it's because there's something the leader's doing or not doing. Like in my case, I was avoiding tough conversations. I was, um, I, I was not delegate, delegating correctly as advocating. Okay, here you do it. And I never check. I didn't create KPIs. I didn't have metrics. I didn't have all the best practices in place when the business wasn't doing well. But that's a, that's a neat thing. So it's always inside out work. It's, it's always those, those pivot points around the individual leader. So then we get them unstuck. Then once we get you unstuck as a leader, then we can put best processes in place, put best practices in place. Then you recognize and realize if you've got people on your team, you have to have tough conversations like I did, like my, my client Tom did. But it's always inside out leadership to get them unstuck, to get them on the path they need to go to. Oh, I agree with you 100%. Like, that's why this show name Get Unstuck because like, yeah. it has to come from inside out. And it's a very big issue though to the, to the leader or to the like, business owner to accept who they really are and what is the real problem behind them, like inside. It's, it's, it's the biggest challenge. For me, it's the biggest challenge, but the biggest breakthrough. And and, what, and I think, you know, it's so difficult when you're picking a coach to recognize and realize that you maybe want somebody who's been there, done that, survived it. It's, it's so, I mean, it's great to be prescriptive and it's great to read a book and tell somebody how to make a pivot and a change. But if they, if they, can, if they haven't actually 
suffered a little bit and struggled a little bit. It's really hard to execute, but it really does come down, like you said, to in order for me to change my organization, I have to change me first. And it's so easy to blame others. And, and for me, I always call it, I hit my entrepreneurial bottom. I couldn't change the business until I changed me. And I've not run into a single success story yet that didn't start first with the leader looking themselves in the mirror and making some changes and yeah. getting unstuck. Yeah, we have to break down before we break through. And that is not so present, but it's the fact in this world. Yeah, and it's, it's so interesting because you'll, you'll bring us in as coaches and they'll say, well, we have a problem with cash. Uh-huh. We have a problem with strategy. We have a problem with execution. Okay, great. That all makes sense to me. Those, those certainly can be problem areas. I totally understand it. What about the people who make the decisions about the cash? And what about the people who make the decisions about the strategy? What about the people who make the decisions about the execution? What about you as the leader who make the decisions about the people? It's always a people problem. And, and for people to, to, to recognize that, it can be really, really, really challenging. But again, once we make the lead, get the leader unstuck, they take the complicated nonsense and the noise in their head and we breathe and we can make it simple. We can take the complex, make it simple. And then if you have the right people managing the cash or handling the money, then we maybe give them new processes. Easy. To, that's an easy fix. And if we have the wrong people, that's also an easy fix. Go get the right person. <laughs> yeah. But so, but so it, it's getting the, the, the company unstuck is always a people problem. If the, if the, if the revenues aren't growing, that's easy. That's a people problem. No, it's a marketplace condition. It's a this, yeah, COVID's a little different. It's, that's kind of an anomaly, but in traditional business times, it's always the people. So the people who, who, who are executing the wrong strategy or going after the wrong clients or executing poorly or not being held accountable. You know, as a coach, the biggest thing I do is I get my leaders to say, this is what I want and this is why I want it. Here's the plan. And then I hold them accountable to it. It's always their plan because it's their business. And they get so frustrated. Like, why are you being so hard on me? I said, well, you said you wanted this. If you don't want it, that's okay. I'll stop holding you accountable. But I'll hold you accountable for something new because we don't get anywhere without that accountability to what we want. Yeah, and that's very important. So how can you being authentic yourself, being transparent, and also able to communicate about the failure and learn further within the business then? So, so if, I'm, if, I, if I understand what you're asking, are you, are you, are you asking me, what is it, how, how do you show up authentic to deal with the failures? Or, so to, oh, did, like the real problem that we not really do or like talk about is being real authentic within the business, right? Talking about the failure and move forward with it. Yeah, and that, goes, also- that goes to leadership. So if I'm the leader and I stand up and say, my company was $600,000 in debt. I failed a lot and now I've learned from it. It sets the tone versus me walking in saying, look at how smart I am and you're, you're not as smart as I am. So you should feel bad about yourself because you're not succeeding in your, in your, in your, uh, in your station within the company. That's, that's just dishonest. It, to me, it's not real. A, a real leader has a real leader only has two jobs. A real CEO really only has two jobs. Their job is to, to remove bottlenecks in the organization, which is solving problems. So we're not, we don't have enough sales. Well, let's take a look at that problem. I make it a safe space. Psycho, I mean, Google's doing so much work around this. Psych, a psychologically safe work environment where you can come to me and say, Todd, I, I'm having real challenges. I don't feel like I'm succeeding. I feel like I'm failing in these tasks or these jobs or these strategies. And we can collaborate. We're, two people are going to have more ideas than just one person. And then if we bring a team around it to really attack the problem, oh my gosh, magic happens. But it all starts with leaders saying, it's okay for you to come and tell me you're, you're underperforming. It's okay for you to tell me the ideas don't work. 
So my job as a leader is to get the bottlenecks removed. My second job as the leader is to make it easy for you to come to me. So y'all want, as a leader, I want it easy for you to work for me. I also want it easy for my customers to do business with us. So if I'm removing bottlenecks and I'm making it easy for my staff to come to me and I'm making it easy for people to want to work for me and I'm making it easier for customers to want to do business, that solves all the problems. We make it too, again, we make it way too complicated. My job is to make it easy for you to work for me, easy for someone to do business with me and to remove bottlenecks when they occur because they will occur. Failures will happen. Mistakes and other issues will crop up. How do we deal with them? How do we get in front of them? How do we not shame somebody, guilt somebody, or, or, or treat them poorly? There are some companies I love them. They will they celebrate the failures, not just the successes, because that's really where the learning takes place. Yeah, that's changed the mindset of the whole team. Actually, that's a very good point. Thank you for sharing that. You're welcome. So I also believe another thing as like entrepreneur, we actually create jobs for other people, right? Oh my gosh, and absolutely. And is that the reason why you write this book? The book I'm working on right now is talking about the, 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 the process of success. And everybody thinks it's sort of, you know, I, I start at the bottom, I rise to the top like an elevator and success is a direct line. Success is a, very, is a very jumbled line. So that's the book I'm working on right now. The book I've already done on the job search process is really to, to help demystify for people what it's like to be a recruiter and how we work and how we help you get a job or help, how, do, how we help you get interviews. And so many people will make it so hard for them to, to get a job. So we, we break into simple buckets. So the first bucket is 85% of jobs are never listed anywhere. So the best place for you to start looking for your jobs is within your network. Don't, you know, people get lazy. Talking about lazy, people get lazy. I'm just gonna look online. I'm gonna look at Indeed or ZipRecruiter. And those are great portals. Use those too, but talk to your network. Post on Facebook. Post, I, I'm working with a guy right now. I said, Post on LinkedIn and post on Facebook that you're looking for a job. Boom. He's, he had an interview within two days. Oh. Yeah. I mean, it's, so it's just getting them to get, I think we get, again, the, the, the doom loop, the itty bitty negative committee in our head of impacts all parts of our lives, not just as a CEO or not just as a job seeker or not just as a parent or not just as a boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife. It happens to everybody. So if we get them unstuck, get them to clear the mechanism of what their thinking was, so they can look for opportunities within, you know, COVID, COVID right now is going on. Where's the opportunity in the tragedy? I spend more time helping people look at that. And maybe the opportunity is I'm going to keep my business open. I'm going to survive. So when this pandemic is over, I'll still be around. I've got another client though. They just hired five people. They found a niche. They're going after it. Their revenue is skyrocketing during these tough times. So really so much of the job I think of a coach is to really see things so you can do your hero's journey. Because I did my hero's journey. I, I, I retired from that business. Now I'm coaching others and guiding others to do their hero's journey. So whether it's finding a job or whether it's growing a business, they're all hero's journeys. Every day we got out of bed, it's our own hero's journey. Yeah, of course. It's always amazing. And when you look back, you will see like how far you have come, right? Absolutely. And the great thing I love about coaching is getting in the weeds with my clients. Like, a lot of coaches just do, you know, for process coaches, they come in and do four quarterly meetings. I talk to my client, most of my clients I talk to weekly or biweekly, and then I'll come and meet with their leadership team for a full day. I, because when they, and then I have this, this concierge program where text me or call me anytime. If I'm available, like right now I'm doing, I have a conversation with you, so I'm not available. But if I had a text message from a client, I'd say, hey, I'm on a call, I'll get back to you when I can't, and I'll help them get unstuck in the moment. It's like being, 
for me, it's like sports. It's like being in the game when my player is struggling. As their coach, how can I help them get unstuck so they can create a path to be successful right now versus waiting two weeks when we're scheduled to talk again? For me, that's absolutely so much fun as being the guide to their hero's journey. And then when they need me, kind of jumping into the weeds with them, helping them get unstuck, and then coming out and letting them go forward. That's, it's like parenting. It's so incredibly rewarding. And, and I, don't, I wish more coaches did it. Yeah, that's what they pay you, right? To know the next step. Like, well, exactly the next step that I have to do. <laughs> yeah, it, well, sometimes, it, sometimes it's that basic, but sometimes it's just more like, what's the next question I need to ask them? Because a lot of them, believe it or not, they already know the answers. They're just wrapped up and they can't get unstuck around thinking clearly. So you get them to calm down a little bit. And then it's, my job is to approach everything with massive curiosity. My job, like a CEO, is to get them to remove the bottlenecks. My job is to get them unstuck. Again, I love the name of your, your, your show. It gets them unstuck. So I'm talking to a company the other day, and they were just a referral, just a one-time conversation. The CEO is freaking out. She's planning on filing bankruptcy literally the next day. She says, I don't know why I'm bothering talking to you. So-and-so said I should talk to you. I said, okay, well, what, what do you want to talk about? She goes, I, well, I'm just you know, I'm going to file bankruptcy. My, my business has sunk. Uh, their destination business, they're in the vacation space, and nobody's going on vacation right now because international travel is impossible. And I said, well, what do you love about what you do? And then she got really quiet. And she goes, I love it. And it was, it, it's, a, it's a destination for kids. It's, I mean, adults will come, but a lot of, she goes, I love seeing the smiles on the faces of the kids. Well, how do, the, how do you get the kids to smile? She starts telling me a story about working with the kids and these, in these workshops and these, these handouts. I said, well, you, you could do those online. Yeah, I could. Oh, and, hmm. and then she starts thinking again, well, where, and if I can't, and I can do them, then I can do them in small groups in, in little communities. So I can do that. I can start moving my content around. So she went from being a destination provider to a content provider in 10 minutes. Mm-hmm. And she goes, well, but I'm out of money. I don't have any money. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Well, let's start looking for money. Well, 20 minutes later, we found $3 million. So within 45 minutes, we got her into a new business model and got her freed up around money so she's going to survive to fight another day. It's not going to be easy, but it's going to be a satisfying journey for her just because we got her unstuck. I mean, that's, that's, that's super, super, super fun for me. Yeah, what I notice is that you encourage people not to change the goal, but change the plan. Well, it goes back to for what worked for me. It was the intention. So a famous story is, uh, I don't know if you ever watched Shark Tank, uh, but there's a show called oh, Shark Tank. With- <laughs> oh, okay. I wasn't sure because not everybody likes Shark Tank, but I love Shark Tank. And, you know, you got, you got, you know, Mr. Wonderful and you got Mark Cuban. They're kind of, the, you know, the, the big deals. But then there's Barbara Corcoran. I love Barbara. She is like, what you see is what you get. No BS. And she tells a story about intentionality. When she was still working in New York City real estate, she wanted to open up the New York market to the world. And this is the internet was just starting. So her idea was, I'm going to go out and hire a video crew. And they're going to film all the apartments under my listings. And they're going to put those videos, uh, all the, that content onto videotapes, back in the days of videotape. And I'm going to ship around the country. So you can call me up. My, my assistant's going to ship you a tape. It's going to take three days to get to you. And then, you know, you're gonna, maybe watch the day, but like most people are going to wait till the weekend and crack open a bottle of wine, sit there with your family. And hey, I like number one. I like number six. And I like number nine. So you're going to call me on Monday. So now it's been seven to 10 days. And you're going to think, well, those apartments are still available. They weren't. And she's devastated. She's dropped all this money into this, this production crew and these content creators and these videotape duplicating equipment. 
someone, whatever, because then she did authentic leadership, transparent leadership, went into a staff meeting and said, I don't know what we're going to do. It's not working. And one of her junior associates says, why don't we throw the content online? She goes, uh, on, the, on the internet. And she's like, I don't, didn't even know. She's so honest about it. She goes, I didn't know anything about the World Wide Web. Well, they did. Within two days, they got a $600,000 wire transfer from London to New York for an apartment. Somebody who never saw it, but they viewed it virtually. And that opened her up to everything. And she goes, if I'd only had the expectation that I'd grow my business through, through videotape mail, that I would be sunk, I'd be bankrupt. Instead, I was intentional of opening up the marketplace to New York, uh, the world to New York. And I went online and that's changed. It was a game changing for everything I could do. And so that is exactly right. It's all about, my, my goal is this. Well, I'm going to try this and it doesn't work and that's okay. And, it's, and that's part of the failing forward methodology is I tried it, it didn't work, it's okay. Versus I tried it, it didn't work, I suck. Because that's the message I used to give to myself. It doesn't, doesn't work well. So, you know, I, I love Barbara for her honesty and transparency. I'm actually including her in my next book because I just love that story so much because it really does give people the idea of a, super successful person who was very much focused on an intentional aspect versus just one way of doing it. I'm speechless right now. I mean, like, this is a very cool interview. Anyone listening here, I bet you should take notes, okay? <laughs> I mean, this is a lot of things that you can just literally start doing now, change the way the perspective that you are thinking currently and see the real problem that you are stuck so that you can get unstuck. So, so, so I can tell you a story about a solopreneur I talked to two weeks ago. You, you yeah, might, sure. this, this might really resonate with you. So she's a solopreneur. She's in Detroit. Yeah, she, she, she was so sweet. So I put on social media that I would be happy to give 30 minutes of my time to any entrepreneur who is stuck around any issue because a lot of people are wrapped up in fear and uncertainty, which makes complete sense. And so she got my message from a friend of hers. And, and she's like, I don't know what I'm going to do. My business is going to crash. I'm a home-based business. I'm a one-person company. And she does home romance parties, which is a guy I'd really never heard of a whole lot. But she's telling me there's a need for these. And she gets people together. They have wine and cheese. And they buy romantic items for the marriage. I'm like, I don't know if I want to know more than that, but that's okay. So she goes, I don't know. What I, I've got inventory. I can't have the parties. I don't know what I'm going to do. And I said to her, I said, COVID has done something that nobody in the history of the world has ever been able to do. They've closed down all bars at the time. And they've shut down all sports. So now men are now trapped at home. So now they have to sit there with their wives. So why don't you take your parties online and have like, you know, her name is Candace. and go call them Saturday romance parties with Candace. She's like, oh my gosh, I can totally do that. She's bouncing all over the place. And she goes, I'm going to give it a try. So I get a text message from her the next day. She goes, you're not going to believe this. I had 60 couples show up for this home romance party. I did $2,000 in sales in less than 90 minutes. Now... This is going to be my new platform. So it's even for solopreneurs that if you focus on the intention, and I love her story. She goes like, yeah, I got into the home romance business because I wanted more time with my family. And I saw the need. And I, I just love talking to folks and helping them be sassy and fun and playful and all those wonderful things. But she was very focused and it became intentional around what she did. And now it, it, she works one day a week bringing in two grand. Yeah. One day a week. That's already amazing, right? Yeah. Yeah, I know. Like, everyone have to start with something. Like, if right. you are a solopreneur, like, listening right now, it's okay to, like, doing everything on your own until you're certain and you are oh, ready sure. to, like, 
delegate something on your plate, you're able to afford those things already so that you can free up your time a little bit and then think about what's next further. And oh, absolutely. Yeah. I love people who, who are willing to have the courage to try. I mean, it's, it's a risk and to be an entrepreneur is a risky endeavor and it requires so much intestinal fortitude that anybody who can do that, I really respect anybody who's willing to give it a shot. 100%. So in case anyone want to work with you, Todd, how can they reach out to you then? Well, and I'll make the same offer here on your show like I did on, on social media. Anybody who wants 30 minutes of my time, I'm happy to give it for free. No strings attached, no obligation. And they can reach me on my email address. It's that simple. It's Todd at extraordinaryadvisors.com. Go to my website. A lot of my, my media is there. You, know, you can see some of my client testimonials. But you know, whether it's imposter syndrome, failing forward, mindset, business strategy, whatever you want to talk about, you know, we're, we're really uh, entrepreneurs are, should be a global community, I believe, because an entrepreneur alone is an entrepreneur at risk. So if you're, someone's feeling alone and they need someone to talk to, I'm happy to make myself available. Awesome. Thank you so much for joining me today. And don't forget anyone, reach out to Todd. Thanks for having me. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Get Unstuck Radio. If you enjoy the show, make sure you subscribe so you automatically get new show every week. I would love to if you left us the review. If you want to get unstuck, check my five-step entrepreneur freedom formula for scaling your business without sacrificing your lifestyle at worldwideweb.extraordinarilybymutita.com forward slash freedom. Speak then.